0: Hello, this is Sunday Starter. I'm Andy Mangum. This is a bonus uh, session for the fifth week after Pentecost, and that's because I wanted to finish the series we were doing on Psalms. But I also noticed that beginning with the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, The New Testament reading includes four weeks in a row of Colossians, and so that will be our next series, uh, a look on Colossians. Don't have a good title for it yet right now, I'm thinking continue, as the text from Colossians that uh, are read in the lectionary all tend to focus on some sort of continuation of the faith. We begin with uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, Paul An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope in the word of the truth, the gospel, that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. You learned this from Epaphras, our fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins." A series on Colossians makes me think of a return to a milestone moment in my faith. One of my crises in seminary came when my professor, Dr. David Balch, told me uh, rather punctually that uh, uh, Paul did not write Colossians. I was raised in a thoughtful and reflective but largely conservative religious tradition. I had prepared myself to hear that everything leading up to Abraham, perhaps, was mythological, but I generally trusted the historical veracity of the scriptures beyond the 12th chapter of Genesis. And I loved the New Testament. I loved it more than the First Testament anyway, and so I was not prepared for uh, this shift. Um, scholars offer various reasons for questioning Pauline authorship of Colossians. And uh, what I came to discover from Dr. Balch is that there there are three that at least I find most compelling. Uh, The first one is that the Greek is different. Uh, It's a little more complex. There are words used in Colossians used nowhere else in the New Testament except Ephesians, which um, uh, also seems to follow the same structure and many of the same arguments we would have for Pauline authorship of Ephesians uh, apply to Pauline authorship of Colossians. Uh, But they're different than, say, the undisputed letters of Paul, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and Galatians. The Christology is different. Normally when Paul uses the body of Christ metaphor, Christ is in all and through all. Um, in the Philippians, Christ hymn, Jesus uh, is in the form of God, uh, empties himself, takes on the form of human, is servile, dies on the cross, and therefore God exalts him. That, what we call kenosis Christology, that emptying out and that return to glory, is really not found in Colossians. Colossians has a much more uh, homogenous, if you will, uh, Christology, a glorious uh, Christology. Uh, but for me, the, the point is that, um, uh, that it's also a, a bit dualistic. Uh, we might use that word without getting into too much trouble. Uh, when Paul uses the metaphor of us as the body of Christ, we are the body. Uh, of Christ. And that's that's the, that's the extent of the metaphor. Uh, but a couple of times, at least in Colossians, uh, the writer uses the idea that Christ is the head of the body. So uh, this idea that the body is lower and the, and the head is higher, and so we are part of the head. Uh, and then there are household codes, be- codes, beginning in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, this was my professor's primary focus, uh, academically, the household codes seem to be um, watered-down versions of Aristotelian politics. This is the space uh, where the writer of Colossians uh, tells uh, 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 wives to submit to their husbands, children to obey their parents, and slaves to obey their masters. And uh, this, this really is the structure of, the, uh, of, of, Aristotel- of, of politics by Aristotle, the first uh, few chapters, at least, of, of that book. And so, um, as well, right, that's, that's taken over by Ephesians and uh, expanded on in Ephesians, um, but... Um, Uh, But it is not characteristic of the things that we know Paul wrote. For instance, in 328, Paul said, uh, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. So um, at least the theory that my professor carried forward is the idea that the egalitarian ethic of the early church that did not make distinctions as much Really conflicted with Hellenistic culture. Uh, oftentimes, as as pastors and teachers and worship leaders, we act as if that it's the Jewish culture that was highly patriotic. Dr. Balch points out that that really Jewish culture was not nearly as pa- uh, as patriarchal uh, as. Um, as, uh, as Hellenistic culture uh, could be highly structured and highly hierarchical, and uh, that this egalitarian ethic that perhaps Paul uh, proclaimed as reflected in Galatians 3.28, that certainly Jesus seems to have uh, embodied it would have really come in conflict more with Hellenistic culture than with Jewish culture. And so as the gospel was moving into Hellenistic culture, uh, he argued, at least then, that uh, the, the, the egalitarian qualities of the gospel uh, seemed to be sacrificed for the sake of evangelistic zeal. It should be noticed uh, that several serious Critical scholars of the New Testament, like Morna Hooker uh, and James D.G. Dunn, believe that Paul did, in fact, rewrite Colossians, um, that uh, in terms of the the language there, uh, they suggest that perhaps Paul used a uh, secretary more proficient with Greek, and, and that would have been common uh, that the theological uh, transitions that we see really seem linked to um, changes that we see Paul making over time, and it's not entirely possible uh, that a theologian himself uh, would would uh, develop, um, and 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 that the tr- the the household codes. Um, um, as much as I want to make Paul a, a hero of social justice. Um, Paul did not, for instance, advocate for the manumission of uh, Onesimus when he wrote the letter to Philemon. Uh, in other places does seem to uh, reassert or affirm uh, what we might call traditional or uh, hierarchical patriarchal values, and, and so um, we do with that what we, what we will, um, but uh, here's my own two cents worth. Uh, I don't think we should shield our folk from critical biblical scholarship. But I don't think we should state the results of critical biblical scholarship as though they are self-evident. The whole point of critical biblical scholarship is that there is stuff there that's not self-evident, that a plain reading of the text uh, unfiltered by 21st century eyes is likely not to interpret the text correctly. Um, and, And so we should take care when introducing ideas drawn from critical biblical scholarship, and if we're going to say that someone other than Paul wrote Colossians, uh, then we should be prepared for at least one person like me to be in the congregation who has lived their whole life believing that he did, and for whom that uh, idea will be a bit uh, unsettling. Uh, Again, don't think we should shield people from that, but I think uh, as pastoral responsibility, we have to uh, help um, provide reasons for that. Uh, So for that reason, I I will sometimes refer to uh, the writer of Colossians when I'm preaching from Colossians, and there are times I'll simply uh, call that person Paul. Uh, it's, uh, it's convenient to call him Paul. It doesn't have to, uh, it, you know, may not be central to, to the, the theology of the moment. I do believe Colossians to be a faithful development of Pauline theology, and so I'm not uh, uncomfortable calling him Paul. Uh, and, and like I said, it just, you know, maybe the point I need to make on that particular Sunday doesn't need to get bogged down in, uh, in the complications. Colossae itself is in southern Phrygia. I, I believe it is now in what we call modern-day Turkey. Uh, it is close to Laodicea, which uh, by the end of the first century, uh, they, they had become far more important. At the end of the letter, there is suggestion that uh, that the, the true churches, the church in Laodicea and the church in Colossae, uh, were in communication with each other. Uh, according to Josephus, there was a sizable Jewish community in the region. Uh, however, the church in Colossae was likely made up mostly of Gentiles and may have been founded by Epaphras, uh, whose name we've already mentioned. A feature of the letter that I think has more importance to the 21st century, at least it's more important to me, Uh, is that Colossians seems to represent a midpoint in the development of the the early church uh, between Uh, the localized uh, attention to church and the more uh, universal aspects of church. So uh, let me unpack that for just a second. We know that say Galatians and Philippians and Philemon and uh, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, especially 2nd Corinthians, really written with a view to the relationship between Paul and the church, that local church, it was a very localized uh, uh, letter. So these uh, local letters uh, address specific issues that are taking place in the churches to which they are addressed. Uh, and then we have in the New Testament what we call the general letters, Hebrews, uh, James, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter, uh, and Jude. And, and these letters uh, generally understand the church uh, collectively. They don't seem to address the particular features of particular places. There are some references that suggest a social context to which those letters are being addressed, but by and large, they are more general sermons addressed to Christians in general. And so what we have in Colossians and Ephesians, I believe, are two examples of letters, whether written by Paul himself or by followers of Paul, where people understand the church maybe more regionally, uh, and this may reflect the fact that I'm a regional minister now, and so uh, you know I don't I don't address all the churches in the world very often, uh, but uh, I do address a particular set of churches, and, and this seems to be this letter in this development. Um, at the end of Colossians, uh, the, the writer says uh, in, in uh, chapter 4 that they should exchange the letter that they've just received with the church in Laodicea and receive from the church in Laodicea the letter that Laodicea has received so that they might mutually inform each other. And I think that this is um, a really powerful um, uh, reference to this developing understanding that the church is more than that group of people with whom I worship with every Sunday, but not necessarily having to have the whole grand universal church in view, uh, but that there is this relationship between uh, and among churches. And again, I'll, I'll put my cards on the table and say, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm a denominational employee, and so the idea that uh, maybe there's denominations in the New Testament, and that's okay, um, probably serves my own purpose. All right. So uh, the letter begins to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Uh, in Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. This is Paul's standard greeting. Uh, the grace is a standard greeting and blessing in Hellenistic culture. Charis. Uh peace would be more familiar. Uh, in Greek, it would be arene, but, uh, um, uh, in, in a rene, but in in a Jewish context, it would be r- 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 similar to shalom. Uh, and so this shows Paul's two sides, Right. Paul's Hellenistic side, he was a Roman citizen, he was the the apostle to the Gentiles, but also his uh, Jewish side. He was a Pharisee, he was uh, taught and educated uh, within the faith of uh, Judaism. In our prayers, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Notice here that that it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The Father is of the Lord Jesus Christ and not our Father. Um, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day that you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. Uh, so so one of the ideas, one of the images I think to play with in this text, uh, given what we just said about the authorship and the audience, that this audience, uh, whoever wrote this book, seems to have an expanding understanding of the audience. Um, I, I just, you know, I feel compelled to say, right, that the, that the prayer itself uh, it also lends itself to this expanding notion of who the church is, uh, that the gospel that is growing in the whole world is also growing in this local church. And the the gospel that is growing in this local church, this perception that is growing in this local church, is also growing in the whole world. I, I think that's... Beautiful, and I think it's significant. I think, especially now when we see that our culture is so divisive, uh, that anything that we can do to emphasize this Christian value of connection beyond those people that we interact with on a daily basis, learning to connect and build bridges across those chasms, I think is uh, essential. Paul reminds them that they learned this from Epaphras, uh, who is a faithful minister and Uh, who has also made the love that they have known to Paul. So Epaphras himself is this bridge. He works within the church to fortify the church there in Colossae, but also serves as a messenger from the church into uh, the broader world through through the testimony that Epaphras gives uh, to Paul. For this reason, since the first day we heard it, he says, we have not ceased praying for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. Um, so every, every church uh, has a pathway of discipleship. Uh, salvation is God's gift. Discipleship is what Christians do uh, once they receive the gift that God has given. Discipleship, uh, I believe, involves hands and feet, the living of life and, and the purity, and also finding meaningful forms of service. I believe it involves the heart, cultivating an affection for God, and forging meaningful relationships with others. And I believe it involves the head, understanding one's faith. And so in this text, we really do have uh, a lot of that, 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 um, that vision of head, heart, and hands uh, living itself out. There is an emphasis on the purpose, though, of knowledge of God. It isn't simply so that we would know something uh, and have that secret, but that we might live lives worthy of the Lord, so that we might live lives pleasing to God. The purpose of knowing God is uh, is for us to, to uh, direct our actions uh, so that you may bear fruit, he says, in every good work as you increase in the knowledge of God. So uh, a few years ago, um, uh, Kyle Eidelman uh, wrote a book entitled Not a Fan. Uh, and, and in that, the, the emphasis, the image there was that uh, he had come to a point, I think it was on an Easter Sunday morning, when he confessed that uh, he, he was a fan of Jesus but not a follower. And, uh, and so uh, he made the shift and started to really develop this understanding of uh, himself as, as more than, uh, someone who celebrated all that Jesus did. So we might think about it as, as faith of the heart or even faith of the mind, but that he really wanted to be the kind of person who gave his hands and feet to the Lord as well. So, um, there are people who've made that shift and, and you know them, I know them, uh, we celebrate them. And I think that our scripture, uh, this morning really focuses on that, um, our scripture this morning uh, doesn't address the question of God's will in terms of circumstances. Uh, and, and, and we'll look at this a little bit later in a series. Uh, but in the middle part of Colossians, we have some suggestion of some conflict that is happening in, uh, the, the, in Colossi. In, in Uh, that there are some teachers who have maybe uh, started to introduce ideas that impinge upon the gospel. Uh, But it doesn't seem to be that too many people have taken it all that seriously. There's more general warnings, uh, but not specific warnings. However, if we ask this text, right, why does God allow for this deviation from the truth at all? Why doesn't God just uh, drive toward uh, everybody believing the right thing if God is indeed all-powerful? And and if we ask that question of, of this text, at least, it doesn't really give us a satisfactory answer. What the scripture does say about the will of God is this, tag, you're it. You are the will of God. The Christian life becomes theoretically easier and practically harder when we arrive at the conclusion that we are God's will. So he continues, May you be made strong uh, with all strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light, he has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and so uh, there's the, uh, the, um, the, the, the idea, of course, uh, that, that Christ's life really was given in order to redeem us to God, that is to draw us into God. This is a a theme that we'll also see in Ephesians developed more more carefully, uh, perhaps, or, or at least more fully. That is that we were dead in our trespasses. Christ came to proclaim good news to those who are far off and to those who are near, and to unite us together as one new humanity and reconciling us to God. Again, uh, that the purpose of Christ's life—if we want to have a fully developed Christology—this uh, is a leading into the Christological hymn of Colossians, that is uh, very high Christology, which we might call it. Um, but but it it is predicated on this idea that that the purpose of Jesus entrance into the world, and work in the world was to redeem us, once again emphasizing this idea that we are the will of God. So a couple of themes that I would play with in this text if I were preaching it. One, this this idea of bridging. Uh, I think there's a lot of bridging work happening here, especially that bridge uh, between Christ, uh, who serves as the bridge between us uh, and uh, God the Father, uh, but also this this idea that Epaphras serves as a bridge, uh, that the gospel is at work both in the world and in the local church, and uh, perhaps this idea right that the Colossians itself is more of a circular ledger, letter, more of a bridge letter between congregations, and not just directed at one particular congregation. Uh, but the other thing I would, I would focus on is this idea uh, that uh, we were designed to bear good works in the world, uh, that we find our truest identity as we live out the call that God has placed in our lives and to do that work faithfully. Well, with that, uh, we'll come to our conclusion of uh, this Sunday starter, and I hope you'll redeem the drive for The Commutes Are In Fact Evil.